you'll recall that finding freedom involves changing the way you think and believe. Building a new structure of belief starts with ripping up the lies in your heart. You've just completed that in steps one through five. Now you must fill that empty space in the root system of your beliefs with truth. In this podcast, Dana Gresh will share with you the four tools God uses to teach us truth. This message was originally delivered at the Pure Freedom Masterclass. Well, we made it to step six. And wow, this is the fun stuff. This is when we get to receive gifts from God's Spirit. I love step six. Step six is replacing any lies we've identified with God's truth. I I want you to hear something really clearly that I believe is probably true of you. You've forgotten who you are. You have forgotten who you are. We forget all the words that God planted in us when we were in the, our mother's womb and he was crafting us and forming us, I believe he spoke truth over us. And then this world lies to us over and over and over again. And we forget who we are and we forget whose we are. And that's when our emotions are unhealthy, our thoughts become distorted, and the roots of our belief system are built of lies. And Step six, identifying the truth that God wants to speak to your heart is remembering. It's addressing your spiritual and emotional amnesia and remembering who you are and whose you are. The most recent time that I used this prayer process for myself was in the Dominican Republic in November, and we had gone down there to pray with roughly 20 to 30 women. We were going to have prayer sessions with each of these women. They had been through master class. They had learned how to use this prayer process, but they wanted deeper training. So we went back to train uh, a group of them and we decided let's go a day ahead of time and pray over each other as a leadership team before we pray for them. Let's make sure our spirits are fully connected and remembering who we are and whose we are. So uh, by the time we got to me, it was like 1030 at night, the night before we started with all the other ladies. And I was feeling a little nervous about taking up too much time. You know, I wanted us to be rested for the next day when we entered into the warfare of fighting for these women to remember who they were. And so I looked at Lynn and I said, well, there's this really big complicated thing going on in my marriage that I probably should be transparent about, or there's this one little itty bitty dumb thing, but it's not a big deal, but it wouldn't take very much time, it would be efficient. And she looked at me and she said, oh, it's the little thing, but not because it's little. And she knew in her spirit that I was minimizing something that God wanted to bring me healing to. Now, I began to explain that all my life, I have kind of shown up to almost everything and felt like it would just be better if I weren't here. I think that the tape that was playing in my head was, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to teach these people healing and sexual theology? Who do you think you are? to get up on the stage at True Woman and talk about emotional health. Who do you think you are to ask your children to walk in integrity and purity? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? 
Does that sound like a familiar voice to you? As I began verbalizing that, I've noticed that a lot of us have heard that one. And so as I sat there in that room, I said to the ladies, I just feel like all of you would be happier if I weren't here. Now, that was ridiculous. I was the common denominator. I was the friend that was the glue of this group. And I knew in my head it was dumb, but my spirit didn't know. And so they began to ask me, like, well, so it shows up mostly when you're about to minister. Yes, mostly when I'm about to minister. Even when I would go to a Secret Keeper Girl event, which is now True Girl, and I was about to go on stage, it was my team, you know, 15 years of ministry, and I'd be like, they really wish I weren't here. My team wishes I weren't here. Such out-of-order thinking. Now, here's how I minimized it. I was like, but it's not stopping me. It's not crippling me. I'm still showing up. I'm still being fruitful. So it's not that big of a deal. And so they began to ask questions. Lynn, Janet, Kim, they're all peppering me with questions. So is it just when you're ministering? No. Is it with your friendships, like when you have coffee with one of us? Uh-huh. Is it in your family, like when you go to a family dinner? Uh-huh. Is it with your marriage? Is it with Bob? Uh-huh. What about your kids? Mm-hmm. Yep. Everywhere. Who do you think you are? And so uh, they said, okay, we're going we're gonna to pray, and we're going to ask God to reveal what lies under that emotion. I didn't really know what emotion to call it. And I was like, I already know what memories is attached to. We don't need to pray about it. I was a bad patient. <laughs> the women in the room who were there can testify. I was a bad patient. I was a bratty patient. I was like, I've already, I've spent time with my counselor, Tippy on this. I've spent time with Lynn, I've talked to about this. I've spent time with our marriage counselor, Pete, about this. We visited from every direction, and I know what the memory is. And they said, what is the memory? Well, when I was about four and a half, uh, five years old, my brother would have been six months old, and he was in a coma. He was in a hospital, and for a period of time he was in the hospital, and then a period after he was out of the hospital, I was passed from grandma to aunt, didn't really live at home. If I did live at home, I slept there, and then I was whisked off the next day. At least that's what I remember. And so I have this one very vivid memory, and I should say this, I have an amazing family. I have an amazing godly mom who I have amazing, healthy, emotional connection and relationship with. I have an amazing, provisional, patriarchal father who in the year 2000 wrote a family blessing to pronounce over us. And I have one of the godliest brothers. He is on my board. He serves us faithfully. He serves the Lord faithfully. I have a great family. And I think one of the reasons why this didn't become a more distorted, dysfunctioning lie is because I have such a great family. And sometimes that can make you limp and not really be crippled. So I was limping and I wasn't crippled. But I remember a time when I went to visit them at the hospital and my brother, uh, I remember him being in my mom's arm. I remember my mom and dad standing beside each other, but they were way up, several stories up, looking out a window, waving to me. And I'm standing in the parking lot, four and a half, five-year-old Dana. And the lie is pretty obvious. If I don't belong there, how can I belong here, wherever here is, right? 
So I say to them, I know what the lie is, but I've already prayed about it. And, and they're like, well, we're going to pray again. <laughs> and you're going to be a good patient. So Lynn begins praying that God would reveal a truth to me for this lie that I believed that I didn't belong everywhere I went. And immediately, I'm telling you, this is one of the most precious encounters with God's Spirit I have ever had. I have long read about an encounter with God's Spirit that D.L. Moody had in a hotel room. Some women in his church begged him to lock himself away and spend time waiting on the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he did. And when the Holy Spirit came, he writes that he held his hand out and pressed against it because the overwhelming joy and magnitude of the presence of the Holy Spirit was too much. And he cried out, stay thy hand. And I'm telling you, I experienced that the moment Lynn began praying for me. The overwhelming sense of God's spirit was almost too much for me to bear. And what happened in my mind is immediately, with no expectations of how God would speak truth to me, and a lot of times the way God speaks truth to me is he takes me straight to scripture. It's very powerful, but not this time. He took me to that moment when I was that little girl standing in a parking lot all alone, or at least I perceived I was alone. I'm sure my aunt was there. Looking up at the family who's not with me. And it was like he lifted me up out of my little body and almost, I can only describe it as like a camera pan in a movie. He moved me around and dropped me into my mother's heart. And all these years that my mom has talked with me about that memory and told me how much she missed me and loved me and wanted to be with me and felt separated from me, suddenly I felt what she was feeling. I felt her love. I felt her maternal craving for me. And simultaneously, I felt my father's love, and I felt God's spirit's love. And I could not handle it. It was too much. I began weeping like a little girl. I don't think I got in the fetal position, but in my, I felt fetal-ish. And not in a bad way, in a good way. Like, just like this, I don't know what to do with this, so I just got to curl up. And I'm also mindful that my friends are there interceding for me, so I'm, I'm like still in this place, but I'm like, I'm okay. And they're like, we know. <laughs> we know you're okay. So it was a sweet encounter, but we had to minister to women the next day, so we just got busy about our work, right? And I didn't really observe a big change, except... I came home and I said, Bob, I had this amazing encounter with God's spirit, blah, 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 blah. And we go to a grace prep event on a Friday night. Now, I am an introvert and God has asked me to live like an extrovert. So my self-protection has always been like, how long do I have to stay at the party? Can you give me the minimal amount of time? And so this particular night, though, he could not get me to leave. And he's like, what is, uh, what, who are you? The next day we go to a wedding and I walk into the wedding. Now, weddings are really overwhelming to me as an introvert because, you know, there's like a couple dozen people, you know, and the rest are complete strangers. And you're like, well, a lot of people that I don't know. So I'm going to find my people. And this is what I do at the big parties as I find my corner and I sit in it. 
because then I can have like a little introvert party at my extrovert event, right? But this time I walked in and I was like, who is here that I can love? <laughs> and I wasn't even realizing there's something different going on. And the same thing happened. Bob's like, I cannot get you to leave. What was happening tonight at that wedding? You would not leave. And usually he's the one that I'm like, come on. Next day at church, I go to church and I'm like, I belong here. And it's the first time I realized, oh my goodness, I feel like I belong here. I feel like they want me here. I feel like I have something to contribute. And I'm telling you that I have shown up everywhere different. I will never show up the same again. Because God healed a cripple. He, he healed a limp in my life. It's amazing the difference in my spirit, in my life, in my thoughts, in my emotions, in my actions that has happened since that night. God wants that for you. Whether you are crippled by brokenness or whether you are limping, he does not want you to walk in that. He wants you to remember who you are. In the book of Ephesians, it says, I have chosen you. He chose me. I belong. I want to encourage your spirit to remember. Remember with me back to when we started this journey, I said that you're kind of like a, a tree. And your behaviors is what people see, your emotions, what you feel is just below the surface, your thoughts are just below your emotions, being the boss of your emotions, and then under your thoughts are your beliefs. Now that you have taken these first five steps and ripped up the lie, we're ready to plant the truth. And who's going to plant the truth in you? The Holy Spirit. I told you that the Holy Spirit was your primary helper when we talked about step number one. Would you turn with me one more time to John 14, 26? And I want to show you something there. We looked at this briefly. I mentioned it when we were talking about ripping up the lies and how the Holy Spirit is your primary helper, I want to show you what is his role in identifying truth. John 14, 26 says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is going to help you remember who you are. The Holy Spirit's going to help you remember whose you are. Let me tell you how he does that. There's four tools that God's Spirit uses to help us be aware of our truth. The first thing is this. The Bible is the foundation of truth. One reason that we pray together is so that we are holding one another accountable to what we know is written in this word so that we can verify that what God's Spirit is speaking to someone we're praying for is consistent with God's Word. And what I have experienced in my life is that a lot of times the truth God gives me is straight from Scripture. Some of you have mentioned as we've been exploring this and learning these steps that God's Spirit has been doing these steps in you and you didn't even know it. Well, He did that in me before I met my friend Lynn and began using this model. I was trying to overcome my shame from my sexual past, and one of the lies I believed was that God could never use me. You see, when I was eight years old, God put a cry on my heart to serve Him for my life. And when I was 15 and sinned sexually, I said no to that calling. I sat on the sidelines for almost 10 years, and I believed in my heart that God could never use me. And the truth that God gave me one day as I was pleading with him over the turmoil and pain of that and the grief of not being able to be used was 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. There are times in our lives where we can't be used by God, where we do need to rest and we do need to be bound up in healing and we do need to reorient our thoughts and our thinking and we're not good leaders, but God comforts us in those times so that we can comfort others. You see, it's not a question of whether your story disqualifies you. The question is how much comfort and what kind of comfort does your story equip you to share? And that was the truth of scripture that God gave me that put me back in the game of serving him. God uses the Bible as our foundation of truth. God uses our imagination. Our imagination is a good and safe tool of God's spirit. This is one that some people kind of get afraid of. So let me try to make some sense of it biblically. Our imagination is the ability of the mind to be creative and resourceful. Can we agree that God made our imagination? Okay, so Genesis 1 tells me that everything God created was good, so our imagination is good. Now, God uses our imagination to help us grow in our faith. Here's some ways that I know that. The Psalms evoke imagery of who God is. He's a tower. He's a shield. He's a fortress. He's a shepherd. Is he literally those things, or is he using those to help our imagination understand who he is? He's using our imagination to help us understand who he is. Jesus said this do in remembrance, right? Can you remember anything without your imagination? No, you cannot. Jesus taught in parables. What was he doing when he told us stories about fig trees and pearls and fields? He was evoking our imagination, using our imagination. And sometimes God uses our imagination when we're asking for truth, and he'll give us a picture. That is what he did when he took me back to that very literal memory, an experience that I truly had, and said, hey, let me use your imagination. Your brain has understood for a long time that your mom loved you, that your dad loved you, that I've loved you, that you belonged, but your heart doesn't get it yet, so I'm going to use your imagination and show you. What a tender, precious gift. Lies make us forget, but sometimes God uses our imagination to help us remember, and the truth erases that amnesia. Bob was praying for a man in South Africa a few months ago when we did the master class there, and he had an experience as a little boy where he was in charge of, he lived in a very rural part of South Africa, and he was in charge of the goat, who I'm sure in their economic condition was a very significant thing. That goat would have either been a provider of milk or it would have been being raised for meat, so very important. One day, his dad showed up at school while he was in class, furious and angry, making a scene. And he describes that his dad didn't just show up screaming and yelling, but that he had dogs with him. And Bob says, I didn't really understand what the dogs were, but everybody else from that culture seemed to understand the dogs. But anyway, it was chaos. There were angry dogs and an angry father. And this was always a very painful memory for the boy that he had a lot of shame surrounding it. And a lot of the lies that he believed were rooted in that memory of shame and embarrassment. And so Bob asked him to go back to that day. He said, I really think we should 
go there and just ask, where was God that day? Can we see where he was? And the Lord used, the Holy Spirit used that man's imagination to show him. You see, his father was prone to fits of rage, and there was nothing that would stop him. But on that particular day, his teacher, who was soft-spoken and gentle and quiet, walked up to his father and said, you need to leave. You cannot talk to your son while he is taking my class. Now, he remembered that, but when God took him to that remembrance and put the power of his spirit in it, he saw Jesus standing behind the teacher. And he said, my father would have never turned around and listened to a quiet, soft-spoken teacher. It would have infuriated him and incited his anger. Jesus was there that day. And it changed everything for him. God used his imagination to have that revelation. Some people have been afraid of this. We're not trying to revise history. So this is not a revisionist approach to the past. It's trying to understand the past. We're not trying to change what happened. We're seeking to change what we believe about it. That's the difference when the Holy Spirit has our imagination in his hand. Pete says, is a scalpel a good thing or a bad thing? It depends who's holding it. If it's in the hands of a doctor and is used for surgery, it's a healing tool. If it's in the hands of a murderer and it's used to cut a throat to kill, it's a bad tool. And our imaginations are like that. Your imagination in the hand of the Holy Spirit, under the guidance of godly, Bible-driven believers, is a good tool. You don't have to be afraid of it. The third thing God sometimes uses is godly people to verify what we hear from God outside of Scripture. So not every truth that we need is completely based on Scripture. I didn't receive a Bible verse when God healed my heart of the lie that I don't belong. But the godly people around me did write down verses that day. They did hand them to me so that I could put them in my prayer journal. Sometimes God uses people to help us connect when he uses our imagination to give us truth. Then he uses the godly people around us to walk a little more deeper into that because I think that's important, that we really understand the imagination. So when that man went back to his childhood and saw Jesus was standing there, then we can take scripture verses like, I will never leave you or forsake you, and know that even in those dark memories, even in those painful memories, Jesus was there because he's promised never to leave us. And the other thing that God sometimes uses is circumstances. He uses circumstances to confirm what has been spoken to us. I, I remember a time when I was really struggling with the, the lie that God wasn't taking care of me. God wasn't taking care of my family. And there were some financial complications going on in the ministry at the time, really big ones. And we were feeling overwhelmed and overloaded. And I was like, God, if you want me to serve you, why don't you take care of me? Why is my bank account so stinking empty? Why are the demands and the needs so far beyond the extension of the hours in the day and the team members that we have? 
And I was really angry and I found a Bible verse and I was meditating on it that morning, but it wasn't settling into me. And have you ever sought the scriptures for a truth? And you're like, no, that's not the one. See, like it is true about, and it is a, a truth for this situation, but it's not the one God wants for me, right? So I had that sense. I'm like, I'm sitting here meditating on this truth that, you know, you're going to provide for my needs. I was like, God, I'm trying to find your truth and you're not telling me. So I walked outside and we had, at one point, we had this little peahen. Her name was Roxy. I really loved Roxy. One of the things she loved to do is look inside of our house. She was a creeper. So... She would, she would sneak up under the windows and she would watch me write books and she would watch me edit. She would watch me cook. She would watch me, just things she shouldn't watch. She would watch me every window, the bathroom window, the bedroom window, every window she could find. She wanted to, to see us. If the door was left open, there were an occasion or two where Roxy welcomed herself into the house. And that was always a lot of fun. Well, she had been missing for a number of weeks. And on occasion, uh, we lose a, a chicken or a peacock to uh, hawks in our area. That's always sad because we name them all. We can't eat our chickens. We need their eggs, but we can't eat our chickens. We tried once, got a roaster. When he got big, we were like, we have to give him to a friend and tell him to never tell us what he does with them. So I was sad. I missed Roxy. I didn't know where Roxy was. In asking, God, are you taking care of me? I walked outside. And I saw, it must have been a couple acres away, at the back of our field on a post, a little white dot. And I was like, could that be Roxy? Is that Roxy? That looks like Roxy. So I put on my boots and I start walking all the way up there. And I'm thinking by the time I get there, if it is her, she's going to be gone. And both of my horses noticed, my 1,500-pound horses noticed. So by the time I get up there, my Palomino trig is pushing on Roxy with his head. And she should not be sitting there, right? I'm like, something must be really wrong with Roxy. Like, she must be very sick. Maybe that's where she's been. And so I get there, and I tell the horse, get away, you know, and I'm looking at her, and I'm like, what is wrong with you? And I'm thinking, if I grab her before dark, she's going to just fly or flutter, and whatever illness she has, I won't be able to treat. So I'm trying to get discernment about what to do. When suddenly I look and I see this itty bitty tiny beak popping out her breast feathers. And I was like, you had a baby. Roxy, you've been off sitting on a nest. You had a baby. So I walked up and I picked her up and I carried her the whole way back. And I I brought her back to the farm and I dropped her down when she was in the safety of the barn on the safety of the hay bales, she like dropped that baby out from her wing. And I was like, that's amazing. And then she lifted the other wing and dropped another baby out of that side. And I was mindful of the one on the right side. So I was like holding her the whole way back so she couldn't drop it. But that whole walk back, she had held that other one. And as I looked there and wonder, suddenly I burst into tears as I remembered that he hides me in the shadow of his wings. He hides me in the shadow of his wings. And I ran back into the house and I looked up that scripture verse and I began to cover my heart in it. And I began to believe it and feel it because I asked for his truth and I sought his truth. He used circumstances as an illustration. Listen to me, Jesus is still speaking to us in parables today. They're the circumstances of our life. 
Here's a couple of things you need to know as he speaks to you about your truth. The truth is not always the opposite of a lie. So if I'm praying for someone who doesn't feel safe, who's believing I'm not safe, I'll never be safe, define safety. You know, is the truth going to be God hides you in the shadow of your wings and that way everything is going to be okay? Everything's, or is the truth is that there could be storms and there could be hardships he could choose to let you out into those storms and those hardships for a time of teaching or testing. I guess you can you look at the life of the Apostle Paul. Was it safe to be shipwrecked and beaten and imprisoned and bitten by snakes? Was he safe? Be careful when you seek your truth to look for the answers you want because it might not be what God wants. And at the same time, the truth often opposes the facts. The truth often opposes the facts. Many places in scripture, there's this stark contrast between what is happening in the real world and what is really true. A really good example of that is Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, he's screaming out to all of the people around him, there's hope for your children, there's hope for your children. Even as their land is being overtaken, Babylonian armies are laying siege to the city, pounding down the walls, carrying off soldiers, leaders, and thinkers. Anyone who can bring comfort to the people is being taken off into Babylon. And Jeremiah sadly is overlooked. He's not considered a good enough leader to be taken off as valuable. And he's sitting there and saying to the people that are left, the remnant, the weak ones, there's hope. Now, everybody listening thought, you're crazy. If you knew what you were talking about, you'd be taken off with the Babylonians because you'd be good enough, you'd be smart enough, you'd be a leader enough that they wouldn't want you here influencing us. And Jeremiah just keeps crying out, stop weeping, hold back the tears, there's hope for your children. Now he has a cousin named Hanamel. And this guy knows a sucker when he sees one. And he thinks that Jeremiah is one. So he says, hey, Jeremiah, I got some oceanfront property to sell you in Anathoth. Now, who in their right mind would buy a piece of property when the Babylonians are carrying it off and taking everything? Who'd want to buy it? Jeremiah would. That's who. The Bible tells us that he bought it and that he got witnesses to prove the purchase in Jeremiah 29, 17, 20 to 4 to 25. He got witnesses to watch an insane transaction of real estate. Jeremiah proved what he believed when he bought that field. Truth is not always going to match the circumstances. Truth is going to often oppose the facts of your life because truth is not about facts. Truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Stay connected to the person of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. That is how you will know truth. And what will the Holy Spirit tell you? He'll tell you what Jesus has said. He'll remind you of the words that are true. This message was presented at the Pure Freedom Masterclass. It is the final step in a series of six entitled Pure Freedom Masterclass, Six Steps to Healing Series. We hope it has helped you to find freedom. God often heals us in layers. You'll find that there are more emotions and behaviors God's Spirit prompts you to address in your life. Just begin again with step one and process them through the six steps to healing. 
With each cycle, you'll find yourself deeper in the truth of God. If you enjoyed this series and want to dig in deeper, consider joining us at next year's Pure Freedom Masterclass. Learn more at danagresh.com backslash masterclass. This podcast was produced by Pure Freedom Ministries.